This is a National Arts Center podcast. Find more great NAC podcasts on the performing arts at nacpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Center on iTunes and subscribe for free. Welcome to NEC Dance with Kathy Levy. In this first of three episodes, Kathy speaks to the brilliant Akram Khan, choreographer, performer, and artistic director of Akram Khan Company. Akram describes his early Katak training and performing, which is interrupted by a five-year acting period, and his return to Katak at the age of 15. Akram, thank you so much for taking the time to talk thank to me you. today. I'm really thrilled. I realized, you know, of course, I think about this a lot. You've been performing here in Ottawa since 2001. And wow. we are very privileged to have you here again in 2013 and many times in between. Okay. Um, we missed you terribly when you got injured and weren't able to perform Gnosis. So thank you so much for coming back with this wonderful work. Thank you. Dash. It's great to be back. Yeah, I, I hope the weather isn't too cold for you. No, it's fine, actually. It's uh, You have lovely... Uh, light. Yes, that's true. That's true. You don't get a lot of light in London, no. do you? Yes, I know. I lived that's... in Vancouver for a long time. I hear that's quite similar. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to obviously get to Desh, but um, many people who are listening to this are wanting to know more about you, wanting to know more about your trajectory and your path. Uh, you've had such an interesting, uh, eclectic background. Can you just take me back to, here you are, a young boy in England, and uh, somehow this door gets opened for you to discover the world of dance. Can you tell us about that personal story? Yeah, I think um, I think the first story I could tell you maybe is about um, a story my mother told me uh, when I was about 10. But before that, you know, I started folk dance, Bengali folk dance uh, with my mother. She was my first teacher. And she really pushed me to get into dance. I really didn't want to do it. Um, but what she noticed was the kind of dance I wanted to do was not something she was familiar with was Michael Jackson. <laughs> so I saw Thriller and that changed my whole um, relationship with dance. Uh, I thought, wow, this, 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 this is this magic because it's, it's storytelling, because it was the film. It was right. actually the first MTV film that I saw. Right, long form video or yeah. something, right? Yeah. And it was a story, it was a narrative. Course, it was theatrical yeah. and it was music and it was dance. So the Had you been into his music beforehand? So it was, he Not was a, really. No, so this was really a, an it awakening was for him. seeing that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I was terrified at my wits uh, because for a kid that was quite scary with all the makeup and Absolutely. it was all zombies. And But I was also intrigued by how can dance tell a story, um, such a simple story like that? Um, you know, two guys, uh, a couple going to the cinema and then him transforming through the... Fo- anyway, blah, blah, blah. And so she noticed that I, I, I was very much involved... Um, hugely inspired by kind of commercial western dance but she thought okay look i've got to uh, i've got to focus his energy because i was hyperactive always as a child so i i was i i struggled through school and she put me into kathak uh, north indian classical dance form had um, that been part of her heritage that been no, part of no not at all I wasn't her sure. her training was folk dance and robindranath tagore kind of 
classical, Bengali classical dance, okay. whatever that means. And when you say folk dance, I mean, is that something that we can relate to, you know, folk dances of, of other countries? Absolutely. That a similar kind of group, yes. community feeling? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I that's the thing them. about folk dance, like in Israel or in, in Africa and India, it's very similar mm-hmm. somehow because the intention is very similar. It's about community. It's about expressing, um, you know, stories that belong to farmers, fishermen. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the, the kind of narrative stories that I dances that I learned were very much about fishermen mm-hmm. because Bangladesh is full of water. And it was something you did sort of after school or in your home uh, or in my with home. the community? Okay. Yeah, in, and in community halls. I mean... I grew up performing in community halls. Okay. I mean, you know, now I feel like it was, it's a blessing. But at the time, I felt it was a curse because, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't get to watch uh, TV much. It was, it was, I was mostly on stage. And, you know, we had a lot of funerals, a lot of weddings, a lot of. Mm-hmm. And so every time a wedding would happen, which was like 100 a year <laughs> or 100 every month, um, I would have to perform there. Wow. And what I realized was the more I danced, the less I spoke. The, le- the less confident I became to communicate verbally uh, with my f- uh, peers or my friends. and um, But I became more confident on stage to communicate through my body. I spoke through my body a lot. And I realized that very young, and my mother realized that. But her father, g- going back to my mother, her father was uh, a-, a gold medalist in maths two times in India. So he was this kind of god, demigod, um, a genius of you know in mathematics, so he didn't want his child, his daughter, to learn dance <clears throat> because at that time it was not regarded highly. But if your daughter learns dance, and it's something mm-hmm. negative, um, and so she would, you know, they used to have these tiffin boxes, which are these metal containers that had lunch that you would take lunch to school. Okay, not plastic; it was metal at that time, and um, silver, you know, containers and. Her brothers knew she was passionate about dance, so she would literally not put food in them, but put her costume and bells in them. <laughs> and she would secretly Sneak go off. and learn. Huh. Yeah, and then come back. And So she secretly learned. She never really learned officially. Because it wasn't accepted by no, her No, it wasn't. And so there was this desire for... She really promised us, She promised herself that she really wanted her children <clears throat> to take up the culture. I see. And that's why I got pushed into it. Uh-huh. And then when I was 10, she told me this story, which came back recently because I was making a piece for Stravin- uh, about Stravinsky. And I called her up and I said, Ma, do you remember when I was 10 and you told me this story about Abraham and Isaac? And she said, what was it? I said, you know, you know, the story, it's both biblical and in Islam. You know, God asks Abraham, do you love me? And God, you know, Abraham says, yes. He said, well, prove it. Uh, sacrifice your f- first son, your son, Isaac. And uh, he was about to. And then I think an angel, I can't remember the full story, but the angel or God, I think an angel stopped him and said, no, don't. You've proved yourself. You've put him on the altar to sacrifice him. That's enough proof that you love God. So I remember getting quite, I was quite terrified by this story, especially as a 10-year-old, that your father is willing, your parent is willing to sacrifice you for faith or for love. Um, uh, And... uh, I remember straight after I asked my mom, why did you tell me? No, I said, would you sacrifice me then if wow. God asked you? And she said no. So just a few months ago, when I was making Itmoy in the mind of Igor, the piece about Stravinsky, I called her up and said, Ma, I'm going to use this story. I just need to clarify something. Why did you tell me this entire story about faith and conviction and love? And then... Um, 
you, when I asked you, you contradicted it. And you said I wouldn't, you know, that she wouldn't sacrifice me. I didn't understand why she contradicted it, why she would confuse me in that way. And she thought about it. She said, well, probably to, to place, um, uh, inject a seed of doubt. And I said, why doubt? And she says, well, doubt is as powerful a guide as certainty. Mm. And I didn't want you to grow up in an Islamic um, setting without questioning it. So I didn't want you to grow up <laughs> without questioning anything you love, which I could see at that time you were loving, you were falling in love with dance. And Michael Jackson, I wanted you to question everything. And I thought, well, that's a pretty, pretty smart mum. Very important. Yeah. prophetic and very topical. And so doubt became the doubt became a very important part of my training um, through my childhood. Uh, and then, you know, at 13, I was still studying Indian classical dance. I got the opportunity to work with Peter Brook. I'm curious about that. Now, how do you go from dancing at weddings and <laughs> questioning your mother about your life in folk dance and not doing particularly well in school and having verbal challenges and all these things that you've just told us to, to, to be part of Mahabharata? It was luck. Um, you know, I just happened to be at the right time at the right place. I'd just done Adventures of Mowgli. I, I played Mowgli in this Indian production um, around touring around uh, England. And Pandit Ravi Shankar was involved somewhat in that composition, especially his student. But he was overlooking that whole composition of that uh, that piece. Uh, Adventures of Mowgli and um, did that tour? It toured around England and yeah, everywhere? I think just England. Okay. I can't remember if it toured. I think England and um, yeah, they uh, somebody who who was um, who I knew uh, who knew me um, suggested that I go for this audition and they put my name forward without even telling us. The next thing we get a phone call and then we're in that audition. And the funny thing is, I'm about to hopefully fingers crossed, but things change. In 2016, we're about to make a film, feature film of Dish but not the stage version, an actual feature film. And it's all in discussion right now, you know. It's it's very early. I mean, it may, it may change a lot, but it's with Joe Wright. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was having a conversation just recently in New York, and he said, bloody hell, I was in that audition, and you got the part. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> so there was only three, four of us. And, and then I remembered. I remembered, yeah, there was these three guys. Two were from RADA, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was this one guy who was kind of uh, a little bit uncomfortable so <laughs> in, in that situation, and I was uncomfortable. So, you know, I didn't know where I was. This was acting, you know. Um, I was used to moving, mm -hmm. and uh, I remember, uh, you know, they they selected me out of that, and so I was very lucky. I'm curious about that. What your memory is of uh, sort of a twofold question here: your memory of touring at yeah. that age. Like, did Mum come with you? Did you go away from home? What was that? whole experience because here you are you know uh, many many years later still yeah. on the road and yeah. dealing with of course new challenges around that and and also if the theater bug ever somehow overshadowed the dance bug uh it, i i would say it did i i would say that um i was really heavily into theater because i was working with you know as a child i wish i was older at the time because i would have i, I would have cherished and picked up much more i would have spent a lot more time with the actors because they were gods of the theater world his collect Peter Brook's collection of artists in the Mahabharat were phenomenal. I mean, they were from all over the world, but they were they were gods of the, uh, of the theater world. They really were. And um, I saw that in 1985, I think. You saw the New French York. version. I saw it in New York. 87. 87. I saw it in 87 yes. in well, New York. I was in yep. that. Yeah. 
There you go. At the I had to buy. Yes, I had to buy a. I had no money, and I had to buy a sort of standing room only ticket, and you know, sort of squeeze my way into an orchestra seat at the last wow. minute. And yeah, I remember. Did you watch? Did you watch the whole quick, night? I watched one? the whole one. Yes. All right. It was a marathon. Yes, yeah. I'd love to see it again. It would be incredible. But anyway, so there you go. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, what uh, what can I say? I mean, I was a kid. Yeah. So um. So what what, what do you remember about the touring? Do you remember that? that sense of excitement about it or to be honest with it? you i was um more interested in in seeing the world than performing uh-huh. i just took it a little bit for granted i was 13 and you know the per diems and the kind of money that we got as kids it was unbelievable and my parents one of you know um at that age you're allowed one parent to come every three months so um you know i was kind of very free <laughs> Without Every parents. three months, like you were allowed to stay in a hotel room with other kids, or um, there was one or two understudies, usually one understudy and a, a chaperone. Okay, chaperone. Yeah. And then we had um, uh, a tutor mm-hmm. from each country that would have to work on the syllabus because Incredible. the British embassy said, "Look, the government said, you know, they're losing school time, so they have to be, you know." And that was the that was the sore part of it. That was the boring part of it. <laughs> but um, I just remember. A, you know, the performing was great, but it became automatic for me. Um, I didn't quite appreciate what it was. The moments that I do remember of touring is when Peter was there. And, you know, he spoke ever so quietly. So, he, you know, when he would talk to us after a show, it's his stories that I remember. And the, what was fascinating was his power of observation and the way, he, the way he told the story, but also what he saw in the story that we wouldn't immediately pick up. And then, then I'd be like, that's why he's a genius, you know. Mm. He can see things in a way that we can't. And um, those, are, those are the things that subconsciously um, uh, crafted my own thinking many years later. Does, do you still have a relationship with him, a dialogue with him at all? Yeah, every once in a while. Does he come to see your work? When he's around. I mean, oh. he came to see Inai with oh, Juliette Binoche, the oh. duet I did in Paris. And then I did something for Sylvie, which was um, for the tsunami uh, we tried to raise, uh, she was raising money for Tsunami um, in Japan, and we did this thing in Paris, and his wife was performing. So he was there, and it was really beautiful to see him because his eyes are very powerful. And you see the fire in him um, and his life. Uh, it's like, a you know, it's this continuous um, burning desire to learn and to create through his eyes. And that was still there, even though he was a little bit frail physically, um, but his eyes were very alive. Do you remember a moment where you had to make a choice? Uh, like after Mahabharata, was there an option to, mm-hmm. you know, f- it was a follow very, Peter Brook uh, mm-hmm. wherever he went sort of idea? No, yeah. it was a very difficult period. I think my mum and dad honed me in, uh, you know, they, they cast the fishing rod and uh, pulled me in yeah. and said, hang on, um, this is great. Now you've got to get back to your studies. Mm-hmm. And that was a very difficult period for me uh, because, you know, I went from something very abnormal to something very abnormal. What do you remember about that? Uh, A lot of rebelling. You know, I I rebelled a lot. Uh, I hated to be normal, to go to have a timetable of a school timetable. So I was very arrogant, um, extremely destructive. And my mother was extremely tough and patient at the same time, but there was a period between 17. And so in that period, when I came back around 15 and a half, I I started, yeah, I had exams and I was not doing well. I didn't want to study, but I got back heavily into my dance. And it it was just a natural thing. There was a 
moment for a few months where I didn't know what I, I was lost mm-hmm. and do I really want to dance? But it pulled me back in straight away uh, after two months. I, I, I was hooked again. And then between, I, I think around 17 and 18, um, I went through a year where I bunked school and my parents didn't know about it because we have a garage at the back where my father had built this little studio for me. Um, and so every morning I would leave in my school uniform. It's funny, it feels like I'm talking about my mother's story. So I'd, I'd leave in my school uniform, but in my backpack I had my bells and my um, <laughs> practice train. And I would go around the ho- uh, the houses, climb over the fence and get into my backyard and then open the garage with, with you know, um, not with a key, but with, some, you know, I found my own way to open the lock and then train there for 10 hours. So I did around eight to 10 hours a day for a year. And they never knew? No, and not until, um, you know, I used to be there. Okay, kids, do not try this at home. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny because uh, I I thought I was smart, but that at the end of the year, there was one morning that I I left too early and the post came too late. And of course it was a parent's, because I managed to rip up everything that came from my school. No, it was a whole whole spy thing going on. And, and then my pep, my mother opened it because she was ill that day, so she didn't go to teach. And she opened the letter and she said, oh, we've got parents' evening. So we're at the parents' evening. Um, and my mum goes up to the head teacher because my name hasn't been called. And she said, oh, my son, Akram Khan, is your student. And he goes, really? He looked at the thing and he goes, oh, yes, his name is here. I've never met him. Could you introduce me oh, to oh him? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so that was the end of, end of um, that kind of journey that I had. But I think what was interesting for my mother was she couldn't imagine a kid training for 10 hours a day for a year in a garage, um, which meant that I was quite obsessive and fundamental about my training. Um, I and all that was alone. I mean, you were alone. Training. Completely yeah. alone. Yeah. I had no communication with the outside world whatsoever, no school friends, nothing. I just trained from morning school time till the end of school time. Incredible. Um and so I lived a lie for a year, but it, it it made a big impact on my on 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 the you know my body really as a dancer. It I would wish I could do that again. I mean, it was something very personal, and it's really a an extreme journey um, to take. Do you, do you think the seeds of the? Uh, I mean, there's so many things already up until the age of fifteen that have planted the seeds for this career that you chose. Did you did you have a sense in that? In that studio every day that this was a career path? Was it articulate in that way for you? No. No, I just did what I did. It's funny, I never thought about it. I never thought about a career. I just did what I enjoyed doing um, without thinking too much about the future. The only reason I went to university was because I needed to get away from my community and from my teacher, um, who is a wonderful guru, Sri Pratapa. Or he was my class- he's my classical guru. And um, I became a disciple of him around that age, 17, 18, um, which is a very profound uh, kind of ritual that you you take, a a religious ritual, actually. But it means, you know, you follow your master in his behavior, in his thinking. You become like him Hmm. in a way. And it's a father to son. Disciples looking for Dord, as you said. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, was, there came a point where it became uh, claustrophobic for me because people were saying, oh, you, you behave and dance like your guru. And I thought that would be, usually that's a compliment. But for some reason, that doubt that I had and that sense of questioning, I started to say, but what about me? Where am I in this? Why am I, why do you call, why do you think I'm a clone of my teacher? I don't want to be a clone. So I decided to run away 
about 100 miles, which is quite far for England, um, to Leicester. <laughs> and uh, that was the only university that was stupid enough to accept me with without any really good qualifications. Um, and I remember sitting in the audition. I, I just said to my mum, I'm going to get a degree to get the community off my back, but I want to do it away from London. Otherwise, I'll be trapped in London with my with the whole cultural thing and uh and 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 I yeah I I I I remember sitting in the audition going shit I don't know anything about what the hell is contemporary dance <laughs> and this was about 19 I think 1920 um and then I they, we had a break after doing a physical class and then I went downstairs and I went to the library and I said to this old lady I think she's been there for like 300 years uh, I said please can you tell me um where the dance videos are they had VHS copies in those right, days right right contemporary dance she goes I don't know somewhere up there you know she was really miserable and so I went to the direction she pointed at and I picked out two videos amongst hundreds of them one was Pina Bausch Right to Spring the other one was DV8 <laughs> so you couldn't pick out the worst videos uh, as an introduction <laughs> I mean it was shocking yeah. when I saw it because I'd never seen anything like it but the shock was not of just of curiosity but it was of anger I was very angry because I said, where the hell have I been? Why hasn't, why hasn't the classical world introduced me to this as well? Why have we been cocooned in? And wh why is it so exclusive and not inclusive of other forms? Had you seen anything no, at that no, point? No. I mean, you're living in London. You hadn't seen the ballet. You hadn't seen... I saw... Okay, to be honest with you... A Nutcracker, maybe? <laughs> I saw... Was it Nutcracker? No, it was... I think it was Swan Lake. I'm not okay. sure. You know, I fell asleep. I'll tell you why. My mother took me on a cultural day uh, with the. Aunties. I love your mother. I have to meet her. Like, I just she's just fantastic. <laughs> she was she was great. I mean, I can't believe she took me to this see this. She didn't plan it very well. She took me to see at the Royal Opera House this yeah. Swan Lake. I was a young teenager, and she thought, okay, let's give him a taste of Western culture. And but in the morning, she decided to take me with the aunties because they were persistent to watch this new film about Gandhi so you know you put a kid watching Gandhi for three hours I slept through uh, Swan Lake, Swan Lake yeah. because I was super tired because Gandhi was so political mm. you know mm. there was no action really in it <laughs> so there were no superheroes in it apart from Gandhi who was a small old man um, Indian man so you know I, I was not, I don't have m very good memories of ballet um, but I remember being very, very upset because I'd never seen the classical, you know, classical Indian dance and my community generally are very um, closed mm -hmm. in the sense that we, they didn't communicate. They didn't really collaborate with the Western culture. I remember very, very uh, distinctly when I was working in Toronto, I brought Chandraleka. Yeah. to Toronto and the classical Indian community didn't come to see her yeah. because you know even from their world from their country yeah. she was the Pina Bausch of, yeah. of Indian dance yeah. and there was a real now I think it's changed a lot there's much more openness, openness yeah. and you've been a big part of that but I mean I, yeah. I, I identify with something that you're saying because even one of their own so to speak was seen as you know the Lloyd Newson or Pina Bausch of yeah. their world and they didn't want to hear about it no she had a she had a very tough time but she's a very strong woman yeah incredible. was a very strong woman yeah. I really admire her. I she, mean she affected me very deeply as did as did the other companies you're talking about but yeah uh, it was it was interesting because I went upstairs after watching the videos and I asked the teachers okay uh, I started to interrogate them 
and they found that fascinating. Hmm. That why why was there a naked body in um, DV8's work? How is that artistic? You know, all these kind of naive questions. And they said, hey, hold on, hold on. You're the one being auditioned, not us. <laughs> but because they like the enthusiasm, I think they let me in and they overlooked the whole grade thing that I never got, mm -hmm, you know, yeah. uh, to get yeah. it, qualifications. I never had really the qualifications to get in. And the other thing that, that was very interesting was uh, up till that point of trying to get into university, I'd failed my maths exam three times. Um, A-levels because my parents uh, my mother's father was a great mathematician and so for some ha for some reason the community projected that I would be this genius of a math you know I would be a genius mathematician and then finally in the third time when I got unclassified again that was my um, grade I literally didn't even get a D or an F I got unclassified three times Ouch. in a row I said to mum I was so happy I said you see I'm not a genius <laughs> in maths just leave me alone now <laughs> That's all for this edition of NEC Dance with Kathy Levy. Please send us your comments and questions by email at necpodcasts at gmail.com. Don't forget you can subscribe to NEC Podcasts at nec-cna.ca backslash podcasts. You can also find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Art Centre. This has been a National Arts Centre podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media. Send us your comments and questions. Email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Visit the podcast section of the iTunes store where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NAC podcasts at necpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Centre on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.